Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, episode number 69. I'm your host for this evening, Randall Sanders. Happy to be joined, as always, by Jeremy Spector. Ronan is off tonight, more so than usual. He'll rejoin us next time. Jeremy, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing pretty well, uh, Randall. I, you know, we're recording this during the Cubs game. Uh, hopefully the Cubs can come back here. I'll be doing a little bit better, but I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Randall, how, how, how are you doing this evening? You know, I'm, I'm all right. It'd be better if, as you said, the Cubs were winning and they could retire a guy like Michael Chavis just once and not constantly have to worry about him on base. But uh, other than that, pretty good. The Cubs have been on a nice little run, especially since our last show. They've done some fun things. Uh, some fun players have done good things. It's been a little more fun to watch lately. Yeah, Randall, have you been having fun watching Cubs baseball? I've been certainly having more fun watching Cubs baseball. Uh, imagine that. Winning makes things more fun, believe it or not. Well, they've played a lot of close games, a lot of competitive games, some games that went down to the ninth inning. You know, I, it's just, I, I don't know. It's been, I feel like it's been a fun time to be a Cubs fan. You know, there's still a, a fair bit under 500, so as everything is relative. But, yeah, the, these games have been more enjoyable to watch lately. They've, they've called up some players who have done some fun things in a, a short span, which we will certainly get to later. But speaking of games that were fun, we came to you last after the Cubs had just finished winning a series in San Diego. Since then, they've played a full series in Arizona, and they are about to conclude a series against Pittsburgh. Jeremy, that first game in Arizona, not so great. The, the defense was simply not there for them. But the two games after that, they they did some pretty good things. They showed a little bit of resilience. Yeah, that first game was uh, a mess, as you, as you mentioned. You know, the Cubs went up, actually, uh, pretty good, 3 nothing, And uh, just, just some defensive miscues, just a lot of just, you know, it wasn't good the way that game finished. But you know, two two straight, I believe, uh, uh, wins in the ninth inning in Arizona. And, you know, when this team, as I've, I've said, I feel like on this podcast, when this team has gotten starting pitching, reliable starting pitching, this team has been a competitive team. And we've seen that now, I would say the last, you know, couple of weeks, the Cubs have gotten some really good starting pitching. And, you know, I, I, I against, you know, uh, Justin Steele had a great game uh, against Arizona. He struck out 10 uh, Diamondbacks. That's, I believe, that what, what was that, the most for a homegrown pitcher since Jeff Samarja? The most by a pitcher, a Cubs pitcher that the Cubs drafted since Jeff Samarja did it. Was it back in 2014? Was that the yeah. stat? That's crazy. That's that's insane. And I, I'm, we're, we're going to read that again. Justin Steele struck out 10 Diamondbacks. He, he struck out 10 snakes in the Cubs' 3-2 win at Arizona last Sunday. And again, it was the first 10 strikeout game by a pitcher that the Cubs drafted and developed and promoted since Jeff Samarja in 2014. Eight years, eight years since a Cubs pitcher had last done that. That is insane. And that's an indictment of the, the pitching infrastructure and the player development a little bit up until now. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I mean, the Cubs have struggled for a uh, a long time under the Theo era and now the Jet era in developing pitchers, but it's starting to look like, you know, that that is uh, coming back a little bit, but it's nice to see a guy like Justin Steele, who we've talked about in the past, like, is he a starter? Is he a reliever? But, and he, he it seems like he's kind of always hit a wall, maybe three innings, four innings in. And then you, you saw for a second there, maybe he did hit that wall in the fourth inning 
against Arizona on Sunday. But then he came back out, pitched a pretty good fifth inning, a pretty good, uh, even better sixth inning. And he counted, he gave you six good innings and that's all you asked for as a starter. So it's nice to see a guy like Justin Steele providing that getting deep into a ball game, six innings, and they were able to turn over to the bullpen and Roan Wick getting a bunch of key saves. Yeah. And, and now, you know, we, we do have to preface it just to not be complete homers is that he, he did it against a team. We talked about it last time. The diamondbacks are a, a bottom ranked offensive team and by bottom ranked. I mean, literally they are one of the lowest ranked, the lowest ranked offensive team in the national league. So we do have to preface that a little bit, but on the other side, we also have to say that Justin Steele did not really have a great defense behind him on Sunday. And with a better shortstop, there's a real good chance that neither of those runs, or at least one of those runs doesn't score and a good line looks even better. And, you know, we, we've talked at length about Justin Steele. Is he a multi-inning reliever? Is he a starting pitcher? And this, that's great to see from him. Again, even if it was against a team that can't hit its way out of Chase Field, to go six innings, strike out 10, and only give up two runs that were, again, pretty questionable defensively, that's a real good outing. Now let's see him do that against teams that can hit a little bit better and build off of that. But, you know, you'd rather have a guy do that than suck, even against a, a, a poor team. Exactly right, Randall. I mean, we've seen a lot of suckage. And so I, I always think that if you, you, you take the good, even who they come to, I mean, the one thing is that they are all major league baseball players. They all are, they, they are, they all have made it through the systems. They've all made it up to they're the best players in the world. You know, they're the top league. And so while the, yeah, the Diamondbacks are a bad team, this Pittsburgh offense is a bad team. I, I do think, you know, the, when you're, you, you're proving it on a major league level, it's nice to take that and build from it and move on from that. And so, and, and another one is Kyle Hendricks had a pretty good start. We've been worried about Kyle Hendricks a little bit, and it seems like he's kind of rounding into shape, which is nice to see. And so, I, you know, you go to Arizona, a place where the Cubs, you know, haven't always had the most success and you went two out of three after the road trip in San Diego, you went two out of three. You're coming back from a road trip into a homestand where the competition isn't that great winning four out of six i mean to me that's pretty good yeah absolutely and you said it best some bad things bad things have happened to the cubs just as far as normal baseball and as far as things happening to players bad things have happened to the cubs at chase field even if the d-backs are not a particularly good team it can be a tough place for the cubs to go in and play and they went in and they won two out of three and it's not it has not always gone that way so you'd much rather win those games than lose them Following the series out in the desert, Cubs uh, fled back to Sky Harbor Airport, got the hell out of Dodge. They came back to beautiful Wrigley Field. And Jeremy, how great was that? The videos from uh, Jeremiah Paprocki, the PA guy, and Tommy Hadovy, the pitching coach. How great were those videos of the Ivy having grown in at Wrigley in the week that the Cubs were gone? How great did Wrigley look in those videos? Well, it's always nice to see a green uh, Wrigley Field. I, I was able to get out there on Monday night. I was in the bleachers. And it, I, I was there. I got there a little early, you know, went to Murphy's maybe pregame came. I got in, saw the Pirates warming up. And it's just when you see Wrigley Field, it's a nice night. It was in the 70s. It was kind of perfect weather. It, it's just a perfect time. And, and it was a great game. And, you know, it's one of the, the fun nights, the things to do. You, more people, I feel like, should be going out to Wrigley. I know the team's not great, and there's a malaise, you know, kind of over this team. But, you know, 75% full Wrigley, I'm like, this is great. It's a great experience. I'm loving it. And I guess maybe, I guess, you know, it's to my advantage that maybe not so many people are out there. But you see the Green Ivy, it's everything you want. And it was a fun night on Monday night to go to those games. Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand people who 
aren't really keen on spending money on this team right now. But, you know, if you can do it for a price that is oh, the price that is appropriate to you, absolutely go out to Wrigley as the, as the weather gets nice. Maybe not going to guarantee that you're going to see great baseball, but you're still there to enjoy Wrigley Field. The Ivy's there. The weather's starting to get warmer. There's worse places to be if you can get into the door for a price that is suitable for you. Absolutely. So, of course, in the first game of this series against the Pirates that we are in the middle of concluding right now, the Cubs put up an eight run first inning against whatever random guy started for the Pirates, capped off, of course, by Wilson Contreras, not only hitting his 100th career home run, but hitting a grand slam for that 100th career home run. Wade Miley pitched seven innings of one hit ball, just an all around drubbing an all around great game against a bad, a bad team. It's absolutely what you should be doing against the Pirates. And you were there to witness it. I was there to witness it, and uh, Dylan Peters is the name you're looking for. I know you you feel very sure. bad about yeah, not totally. getting Dylan Peters' yeah, name sorry, out there. Sorry, Dilly Pete. That game for the Pirates didn't even make it out of the first inning. No. Only pitched two-thirds of an inning. But, yeah, I mean, that moment when Wilson Contreras hit that home run, uh, the grand slam for his 100th career homer, I mean, that, that was just an epic moment. It's just a fun night, as I said going to really you go to a ball game you see something that you know you never seen before and, and i gotta say randall you came on the uh on the air we're here right now talking some smack about michael chavis michael chavis is going on my list as well for what he did to wade miley i mean that was not cool uh stepping out of the box a little bit when wade was in a rhythm and wade was pretty much halfway through his windup and get and Wade was throwing a no hitter actually a perfect game i think at that point and uh you know getting that first hit and the that was the first pirates hit they had since saturday um but you know just one of those perfect games on a perfect night a nine nothing uh game they scored eight runs in the first inning uh you can't ask for more than that and it, it was just a fun night for me i had i got to sit i know randall you would have been loving this I was sitting in the right field bleachers where good, our old friend, well, not old friend, new friend, I guess, Jack Suwinski was out there in right field, surrounded all by his probable friends and possible family. Randall, how would you have um, handled that where you have a huge suey crowd as they were chanting his name the whole time <laughs> a while he was out crowd. there in right field wearing Cubs and Pirates gear? Uh, well, you know, Jack, if, if, uh, right, if, if our listeners are not completely aware of who we're referring to, Pirates outfielder Jack Sawinski is native to the area. If you don't know what his family looks like, watch any inning of this YouTube TV Cubs game because they have been on the broadcast every inning. Uh, you know, I'm not real big fans of opposing fans sitting near me at the ball game. I, I don't like it very much because they are cheering directly if I am in, if I am in displeasure. They're, they're doing it to me personally. Uh, so I'm not a real big fan of that, but you know, it's his family. I'm, I'm sure they're very happy to be able to see him play uh, here in, you know, I don't know if he was a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan, but here in his, his native area. Uh, now, Jeremy, did you pretend maybe that you were with a broadcast and pull out that microphone that we all know you keep in your back pocket and go up to them and ask, can you describe how it felt to watch Jack Suwinski uh, play here at Wrigley? No, I did not uh, go up to the Suwinski family and the, ask them to describe their feelings. It seems like we're, that's uh, the key phrase of the day lately on the uh, broadcast. But, uh, you know, you, you you got a whole family there, or probable friends. I think the family was more in the family section behind the plate, but of, of a good crowd of 20, you know, local people rooting on their boy. And I'm just curious how Randall, you know, you would be right. I was kind of right behind them a little bit over. 
they're cheering anytime Suwinski, who's right in front of us, is making a play. Anytime he's at the plate, uh, you know, giving them huge cheers, very loud. It was their guy. And I know you hate opposing fans, and I know you talk about, about it, cheering. But this is cheering for their boy who's from here. You you have no sympathy for them at all? No, uh, empathy maybe, but empathy, not sympathy. Empathy. Like, like if you want to do that, that's fine. Do it in the part of the ballpark that I'm not in. That's that's my request. Don't make me don't make me hear it. Uh, not to be lost in the shuffle in that uh, in the the next game of the series. Keegan Thompson, who the Cubs have been stretching out lately, he pitched five innings of pretty good baseball. He's really been coming on strong. They've the the uh, I don't want to say injuries. It's not injuries, but uh, some people missing from the rotation for various reasons necessitate Keegan Thompson getting these starts. They're stretching him out a little more. They're moving him out of this multi-inning bullpen role. Do you think he can be this effective starter going forward? He went, I think, four innings in his last start. He went five innings this start. Do you think they're going to continue stretching him out and potentially using him in that role? Or do you think he goes back to the bullpen as guys start to get healthy again? Well, I, it's similar to, uh, you know, we just talked about with Justin Steele. Uh, he comes out, he gets five innings, five Ks. Like the the one thing we've I, we've talked about, I've talked about, about Keegan Thompson in the started rotation is he needs to get strikeouts. I mean, he's shown he's had the ability to get strikeouts out of the pen. He hasn't quite shown that ability as a, as a starter. Um, but, you know, he went five innings. He was in line for the win. He had the five Ks, uh, a strikeout, an inning. But you know, there's a use for him, even if he's only able to, you know, go three innings, four innings. I still think there's a use for him uh, in whatever role. I mean, sometimes that is, you know, a starter. And nowadays we have, you know, the opener. Maybe there is a use for a guy who can get 12 outs at the start of a game or so. Um, so I, I think you keep throwing him out there. I think you, you keep giving him the opportunity to show that he can do it until he doesn't do it. But I, I was very... Uh, upbeat about that start from Keegan Thompson. I know it was the pirates and they have a terrible offense, right? Got to preface you know, it, but still counts. It still counts in the standing still major league players. As I said, he still is out there in the mound throwing 97, uh, coming out, out of, you know, as a starter. So I, I was pretty impressed. I think that was one of Keegan Thompson's probably better starts in his career. Absolutely. He hasn't had that many in his career. So even in that small sample size, Excellent work by him. And again, we said it at the top of the show, the Cubs have had their more than their fair share of issues developing starting pitching. Again, even if it is against the Pirates, even if it is against the D-backs, two young guys who might potentially figure into the rotation for some time to come doing really good work. And again, that's excellent to see. Something else did happen in that game last night. I'd say it was the most, maybe one of the most exciting solo home runs we've seen the Cubs hit in quite some time as the Cubs called up a pair of prospects yesterday in Christopher Morrell and Brandon Hughes. Christopher Morrell is a utility player. He plays shortstop, third base, and center field, primarily in the minors. He has a good deal of power. He hits the ball very hard. Seven home runs for AA Tennessee before being called up this year. And Jeremy, what did he do in his first major league at-bat? He worked that count from 0-2 to 3-2. And then on that one pitch, what did he do, Jeremy? Tell our listeners. Uh, well, he went yard, and he went yard pretty hard. He hit a ball 111 miles per hour, uh, just absolutely crushed, and no doubt Homer uh, Wrigley was electric. You know, it's always fun to see uh, a guy, which we've seen pretty often, I feel like, of uh, of prospects coming up and, and hitting, uh, going yard in their first game, even their first at bat uh, with the Cubs over the past, you know, five, six, seven years. But, uh, I mean, that was just an awesome moment. I mean, to see Wrigley like that, even – when it's not full, it's still that electric atmosphere. It's like you watch it, it almost sometimes feels like a playoff game. 
And it's like a vibe that is different than other ballparks. And you see Christopher Morrell, who was in a spot seven, nothing in that situation or six, nothing in that situation, he's swinging out of his shoes and he totally did. And the crowd pumped him up, you know, going into it because the crowd was juiced about that three, two count. And it, I, it's probably going to be one of the coolest moments of the entire year. And it was pretty awesome for a guy in his first at bat who I was surprised even got the call uh, just to go yard like that. That was amazing. Absolutely. And again, I know you and I discussed this prior to the show yesterday, why he was called up versus Nelson Velasquez. It's probably because even though Velasquez does play some center field, I think they like Morell's defense in center field a little bit better. And of course, Jason Hayward to the, uh, the IL without a designation, as they call it, um, was the roster move to allow for Morell to come up. So they probably liked a, a so-called natural, even though he's not necessarily a natural center fielder, uh, a speedier guy, a rangier guy to get that call up versus Velasquez. But yeah, a great moment. I know I was hooting and hollering in my living room. He, he whacked that pitch, gone the second he hit it. A great moment. And again, depending on how this season goes, it's very possible that, that one solo home run on May 17th might prove to be a highlight of the season. Not not a great indicator of a season, but if that's how it goes, so be it. So as we record tonight on the evening of Wednesday, the 18th, the Cubs are still down 3-2 to the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are in the top of the ninth. Uh, two outs, a runner on first after another VR fielding error at second base with two strikes on the batter. Key Brian Hayes will keep you posted throughout just because if the Cubs pull this out, you can. Oh, and Key Brian Hayes just struck out. Hopefully MLB doesn't come after me for uh, offering the play by play. I don't have I don't have the uh, the written consent of MLB. Hopefully the Cubs can walk this off as we go to the ninth. And if they did, they do. You'll hear our reaction live and recorded as they do. So talking a little bit again about Christopher Morrell, we talked about him for a second. The other guy they brought up, Jeremy, a really intriguing arm from AAA out of the bullpen, Brandon Hughes. And he's got a little bit of a story. And I know you're big on this guy. He was a big 10 collegiate player. What can you tell us about Brandon Hughes? Yeah. I mean, I will get into Brandon Hughes just in one second. I do want to go back one little bit, Randall. You said that you were hooting and hollering, but on the Twitter, you said you were hooting and hollering like a Tuscan. Oh, so I did. You, I did say that. So were you, what were you lifting above your head to give the, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing the, the Gaddafi stick lift, but I was definitely hooting with Tuscan in mind. Those, those sand people know how to party, Jeremy, the women and the children. Okay. So now getting into Brandon Hughes, I'm just glad we, we got that on the record. Uh, Brandon Hughes. I remember Brandon Hughes being an outfielder at Michigan state, uh, you know, watching games when the Illini were playing Michigan state, uh, some pretty good Illini teams in that era. And I remember him being a pretty good, you know, outfielder, uh, a speedy guy had a little bit of pop would get on base hit for average. And so I remember when the Cubs drafted him and I was like, okay, there's a guy I know he, he he's a solid college player. We'll see how he does in the minors. And it seems like he struggled a little bit and he was pretty much given an ultimatum. Uh, either you're no longer in the organization or, you know, you can get on the mound and throw some pitches and, and try to see if you can figure it out. And it looks like he made the right decision by, you know, trying to convert as a pitcher. And it looks like the Cubs made the right decision by even offering that to him uh, because last night he was absolutely nasty. I, that was one of the most dominant relief performances I've seen by a guy making his major league debut. I mean, those sliders were nasty. It's early in his career first start, obviously once again, playing the pirates, but is there a left-handed reliever there? I mean, if you thought Brandon Houston is coming up, okay. Cause they needed an arm. I think he showed something last night. Like this is a guy we have to give a chance, uh, 
you know, for the next few weeks and see what's there because maybe he should be staying with the big club. Yeah, that breaking pitch of his was nasty. And it, it nice of the Pirates to have lined up all those left-handed batters that yeah. Hughes was able to come in and face consecutively. It's one of those things that lines up perfectly. David Ross, I'm sure, saw those, the upcoming hitters. He said, all right, here's the spot. But, yeah, he had that great slider that was death on the left-handers. And the right-handers didn't give him a whole lot of trouble either. You know, small sample size, but five strikeouts in an inning and two-thirds in his major league debut. He looked like he was just walking on air coming off the field and it seems like the Cubs if there is one one position area in which they have a lot of guys who are potentially major league ready it's these interesting relief prospects who are pitching in the high minors at AAA and AA we've seen Ethan Roberts already and we know that the the slider we know the breaking stuff is there he's hurt right now Brandon Hughes is up you have guys like Ben Leeper and Kane Eckert pitching at Iowa it seems like if you have one position group among the Cubs who is ready to contribute most, it's these interesting relief prospects pitching in the high minors. Yeah. As we talked about uh, in the past on previous podcasts, uh, that pitching infrastructure, the Cubs have made huge leaps uh, in terms of, you know, one in terms of just like velocity gains uh, they've done fantastic. And just in terms of stuff, it seems like, uh, the Cubs, you know, they have their pitch lab over the last couple of years. Tommy Hadovy works with all the guys in spring training, even more behind the scenes, working with the minors and 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 throughout. I, we talked about Craig Breslow being the, uh, you know, the director, I guess. Now he's an assistant GM or he might even have a VP role title uh, in terms of in charge of all pitching in the Cubs system, how it's all organized, you know, um, as uh, kind of like vertically streamed. Like it's not just like the major league club and the minor. Everything's part of one. Uh, plan, you know, and it's really nice to see that the Cubs have kind of really developed these arms. Unfortunately, we saw an arm that the Cubs were trying to develop in the past, you know, Dwayne Underwood come out against us tonight, throwing like 98, but the Cubs go figure. I know, but you know, it seems like it's nice that the Cubs now are the team that have these guys. It's like, we always kind of face these other teams and other bullpens. And it's just like, where do they get all these guys that are throwing 98 miles an hour? They're throwing these, wicked breaking balls and the Cubs, you know, kind of were always, we just, it was like, we were throwing like, you know, kind of like weird angles with two seamers and just not, you know, Steve, like Steve Ciszek types, you know, or whatever. And we just never had that. And now it seems like we finally got to this point where, okay, the Cubs have this stable of guys they could call up and they're just throwing hard. And it's nice to see that. And I think the bullpen is better off for it. Like, it's still, you know, the bullpen still has to work its way out. It's still early in the season. You know, some of the guys on there are going to struggle. Some guys, you know, everybody's got to find their role. But it's nice to see that the Cubs are calling up guys that, you know, you mentioned Ben Leeper. That's a guy, you know, who could probably make a case that he should be up on uh, the roster at some point soon. So, uh, you know, it's it's nice that they have these guys that are going to throw hard. I like seeing guys that run the, you know, the fastball up there mid to high 90s. That always gets me going when I'm watching a ball game. Absolutely. And, and, you know, not to not to go Ronin on on the broadcast here, uh, as you probably start to eventually see some of the established relievers in the bullpen potentially get traded off when David Robertson goes, potentially when Chris Martin goes, maybe another guy or two, it, you'll probably see guys like Leaper and Eckert come up as those 25 man spots and those 40 man spots clear out as we get into the summer. But yeah, it, it's great to see them developing hard throwing relievers after Cubs fans watching seemingly every other team bring three or four guys who can throw 95 or harder out of the bullpen. Hopefully they can extend that pitcher development to starting pitchers sooner versus later, but it's good to see the efforts starting to bear fruit. 
so as the Cubs are down to their last out here in the Wednesday night game on YouTube TV, that's an excellent segue to our next discussion. The Cubs were fortunate, and I say that in quotes, fortunate enough to have a, a streaming broadcast last Friday night, and they were fortunate enough to have a streaming broadcast uh, tonight. The Friday night broadcast was on Apple TV+. Plus. Tonight's broadcast was on YouTube TV. So, Jeremy, I know you've peeped in on these broadcasts for other teams periodically. I know Ronan has occasionally. I did not bother with any of them before the Cubs were on. But now that we've had two of the streaming games under our belts, how do we feel about these? Do you do you like one versus the other, Apple versus YouTube? Can you can you leave both of them and prefer the Cubs or be on marquee? Well, how do we feel about these? Well, I, I would say I would prefer the Cubs to be on marquee. I would rather yeah. just my usual uh, broadcast, get Boog and JD out there. Although last week, you know, we had a lot of Pat and Rick uh, so we could talk about our feelings on Rick Sutcliffe. We can, but, certainly. But uh, I will say for the Apple TV broadcast, the first thing to say, I think the, the picture is amazing. You turn it on, the picture is fantastic. It's really nice to watch that broadcast, just watching it uh, in terms of visually. Um, the the graphics, I don't, I don't know about, you know, they're you can take them or leave them. Leave them. They're, you know, they're kind of similar that Apple has uses for other things. Um, and I do like the idea of that little in the lower right-hand corner that's always like updating with facts and, and percentages. Right. I don't hit, buy hit necessarily every probability. They're yeah, hit percentage, drive in the run probability, that sort of thing. It's interesting. I agree with you. I don't know that I buy it. I don't know that I need it, but it is kind of interesting to see it there. And, and from what I've read, they like have hired a company that's like never done this before, which seems kind of weird because like you have, obviously you would have access to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Statcast, and and that gives updates for all kinds of things, and or you can use like Fangraphs, other types of websites. And it's like, why are you hiring some company that's never done this before and putting up graphics? I'm always like that. I'm trying to figure out, like, how does that make sense? Maybe there's a way this number makes sense. It's weird. Like, uh, you'll see, like, on a three-one count, like the hit probability goes down from a two-one count. I'm like, what? How does that make sense? Uh, maybe because a walk is more likely. I don't know. But uh, so there's that. And then you get to the broadcast. I, I, I to me, it's uh, I, I could leave it. I'm not a big fan of three man booths. Never have been. Um, I it kind of gives. It's almost like a feel of the 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 ESPN Sunday night games where it's like we're trying to just talk about everything that's going on around baseball, like a podcast or like very chatty. Uh, yeah, I've watched a few of them. Last week was Cliff Floyd. I, I hadn't heard him in the booth before. Usually, I've nope. heard hundred pounds. I, I, I didn't know it was him until he identified himself. Right. I, he said he said he did some work for Marquis, so I knew it was somebody local. But I didn't know it was him until he identified himself. But uh, the the broadcasters, from what I've seen of those games, I've not necessarily been a fan of. Um, and it, it's and to be honest, and I just I just haven't been a fan of those broadcasts. So I feel like the picture's good. I could watch it on mute, but. I would rather just watch, you know, Marquee. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Randall. I assume you're kind of like me and that you would rather watch Marquee. I don't know how you felt about watching that broadcast for the first time. And, you know, it's difficult for a lot of people because they don't know where to find it. So they have to Google or whatever, or they don't know it's a free subscription. Uh, or at, at least as of now, you don't have to have a paid subscription. You can watch it free. So, Randall, I, first of all, I'm, I'm curious how you watch. Did you watch it on an iPad or on your computer? Do you no, have an I, app on your I TV? have apps for both Apple TV and YouTube on my TV. So I, I piped it in directly there. 
Yeah, um, you know, we all know how I feel about national broadcasts. It's not typically good feelings about national broadcasts. I didn't mind the Apple TV broadcast as much as I expected to. You know, uh, I don't even remember who was on play-by-play, but I didn't find him incredibly offensive. Katie Nolan was in the booth, and she's very funny. I don't know that her style of humor, you know, is perfect for a baseball broadcast, but she at least she's something new. And it's something different and at least not necessarily different in a bad way. And like you said, the, the, the graphics, the look of the Apple TV broadcast was clean at least. And I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily hate it as much as I thought I was going to. I don't know that I loved it. I don't need it to keep happening. I didn't hate the Apple TV broadcast as much as I thought I was going to. The YouTube TV broadcast, I can very much take or leave. It feels like it falls into all the pitfalls of the typical national broadcast. How many times did we need to see Jack Suwinski's parents tonight, Jeremy? How many? Uh, I don't know. We saw it a lot. Unfortunately, he yeah. I will say with Steven Nelson on the play-by-play. So okay, Steven who I thought was going to be the Blackhawks play-by-play guy, but a local guy, but did not get that. So I was surprised by that, but it was Steven Nelson on the play-by-play. Sure. So Steven Nelson, Cliff Floyd, and Katie Nolan in the booth for the Apple TV call of the Cubs game. The, the YouTube TV broadcast does do one thing that I like, and that is the ability to pipe in either radio broadcast as your audio. And for all of my complaints about national broadcasts, a lot of those can be alleviated by giving me Pat and Ron as the audio instead of whatever national guys are sitting in Wrigley that night. So from a technical standpoint, I appreciate that a lot. And because YouTube's apps are pretty universal, you can do that whether you're watching on the computer, your phone, your iPad, or you're piping it to your smart TV. So I do appreciate it on that basis. And let me tell you, watching this game tonight on YouTube TV, there were so many times where the broadcast was interviewing Suwinski's parents, or they clearly had the camera on someone or something that I did not care for. And it was really nice to have Pat and Ron talking about things I do care for, like telling Zaidman to sit down, uh, as opposed to having to deal with that national broadcast. And sadly, no join Wrigleyville tonight. As we record, the Cubs do lose. They lose 3-2 to two to the Pirates. There goes the winning streak. David Bednar, not a fan of the Cubs. Uh, last time the Pirates won at Wrigley. You could see him mouthing some very unkind things about the Cubs. And, you know, if I were on the Pirates, I would be grumpy all the time, too. So, unfortunately, there goes the winning streak. Hopefully, the Cubs can start a new one uh, this weekend. But uh, there goes the winning streak, sadly. But yeah, I can take or leave the streaming broadcasts. Apple TV, I didn't hate it as much as I was expecting to. Uh, YouTube TV, no thank you. Hopefully, there are not too many more of these scheduled the rest of the season. Jeremy, do you know off the top of your head how many more the Cubs have this season or coming up? I do know that the Cubs have a Peacock broadcast, uh, oh, a nice peacock early broadcast. morning Sunday broadcast. I don't know. I don't know if they have a YouTube broadcast. They might have one more YouTube broadcast, but I don't think any of these are really scheduled really far time. out into the second half. Yeah, yet, so I'm not sure like if that, you know how the like second flex scheduling, yeah. flex scheduling in the NFL. But as always. Feel free to find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We do our best to keep you updated on which streaming service the Cubs are on, because that's a discussion we need to have at this point, apparently. What you can do to access the broadcast and uh, helpful tips and tricks for getting the broadcast um, where you'd like it. We put it out on our account earlier tonight that you could put Pat and Ron as the audio track to the YouTube TV broadcast. So we will endeavor to continue providing you with that helpful information. Follow us on Twitter at BTYL Broadcast. Uh, If you need helpful tips and tricks for accessing the broadcast, shouldn't be a thing we need, but it is a thing we do need. 
So with the series with the Pirates concluded, the Cubs move on. They stay at Wrigley, but they do bring in the Arizona Diamondbacks, who they just saw for four games. And that's a great way to get tired of a team is to see them for seven games over the course of a, a week period. But as always, we are fortunate to have weather for the two upcoming series provided to us by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather, who, as always, you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall and at Cubs Weather. Alexander brings us the forecast for the four-game series against the D-backs at Wrigley. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday night is a 6.40 Central Time start. And then Friday through Sunday is the classic 1.20 p.m. start at Wrigley Field. That's old style. Thursday night, you can expect temperatures around 82 degrees. It's been warm here recently, and it's going to be warm here again with the wind blowing out pretty good out to center field at 15, 20 miles per hour. Friday during the day, there is uh, a chance of rain. We'll get the specific forecast in just a moment, but game time high of about 80 degrees with the wind again blowing out out to center and right. 15 to 20 miles per hour. Saturday, another chance of rain, 58 degrees with the wind in from left field, center field, temperature down a good 20 degrees from Friday and Thursday, 58 degrees at game time. And then finally, Sunday, the winds in again from center field and right, 10 to 20 miles per hour, 59 degrees. And the series vibe Alexander describes as the mirage of summer and the pain of the inland glacial sea, meteorological poetry. This is why living near the shore can be a psychological challenge. Two warm, humid days, Thursday and Friday, followed by the exact opposite. Two playable days bookend, two challenging weather days with potential issues. Storms are likely at some point on Friday, and 50-50 showers, the 50-50 shower chances throughout the game window on Saturday. And the SPC, that's the Storm Prediction Center, has Chicagoland in a slight risk for severe weather on Friday. So Ronan, you'll probably be hearing this after the fact. Uh, we're okay. The weather is fine. You don't need to worry. You're going to ask anyway, but we're okay. After the series against the D-backs at Wrigley, the Cubs head out on the road to Cincinnati at the Great American Ballpark playing those Cincinnati Reds. That is another four-game series playing Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 5.40 p.m. Central Time, and then 11.35 a.m. Thursday. So nearly a week from, well, one week from when you'll be listening to this. The series vibe is muggy in the middle. After a very pleasant Monday evening game, the humidity will increase and showers and storms enter the forecast for Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday looks to clear out behind the Tuesday-Wednesday system. So the Monday night game be 66 degrees and dry. Winds out to right center field in Cincinnati at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tuesday night will be chance of rain and 75 degrees. Winds will be light and variable. Wednesday night, 74 degrees, again, a chance of rain, winds in from right center field at 10 to 20. And then finally, the Thursday day game on getaway day, winds will be out to the left side slash out to left field at five to 10 miles per hour with a game time temperature of around 72 degrees. So that is eight days worth of forecasts. It's like a Hanukkah's worth of forecasts, Jeremy, courtesy as always of Alexander Hall of Cubs weather. Find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Find them on Twitter at Cubs weather. And as always, we do thank Alexander for providing the weather. One of the highlights of our weekly show. Yeah, we got eight games coming up, Randall. Eight games against some uh, a couple teams that are not very good. Uh, you know, hopefully we just saw the Diamondbacks out in uh, Arizona and we saw the Cubs take two out of three there. And uh, we got the Reds coming up uh, who you know, have been a horrible and got no hit, or excuse me, no hit the Pirates and still, still lost losing. the Pirates yeah. team that the Cubs just shut out twice, um, allowed three runs over three games. So I don't know, Randall. I, I, I feel like, you know, 
this is an opportunity for the Cubs. I know, I know we're not going to say like they're going to be a competitive team uh, this year necessarily, but like we got eight games here uh, against some poor teams. Uh, can the Cubs, you know, go, you know, six and two, five and three. Uh, can they start? They just, they're on the six and nine uh, stretch. They just finished. Uh, you know, how are we going to feel uh, in a week from now? I think, you know, maybe the Cubs can find themselves three, four games under 500. Uh, I think that'll be interesting to see heading into June, like where the Cubs are. I, that might be, you know, a pretty good spot. I feel like this next week, it's going to kind of make or break. Uh, like, I feel like the Cubs season, I'm not saying it's going to make the Cubs season. They're going to be playoff contenders, but like, are they going to be a team that can kind of be kind of competitive throughout the stretch, see where they are, or is it just going to be, okay, this is like, you know, going to be a terrible March to 95 losses. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't want to say that's the, the bad part right now, but it, it feels like every time you, you get out on this team in May, they, they pull you back in. They have this really fun stretch with some really fun players. And I'm not, I'm not saying that losing is a good thing, um, but it does, it does make it a whole lot easier to follow the team sometimes because you're, you're not really worried about what happens. Yeah. You know, it's still early enough in the season. We still have that optimism that if the Cubs can take advantage of this stretch against some really bad teams, maybe they can get themselves kind of back to equilibrium, back to 500. And maybe they can go ahead and try and make some hay in a division that I don't think is going to end up being all that strong. But, you know, I, I we'll, we'll see where this team is in a month from now when we're doing episode 74 or 75 or so. Uh, we'll, we'll see where this team is at. But win, win some of these games and go from there. And if our listeners are not aware of this, Jeremy mentioned the Reds no hitting the Pirates, but still losing. That is exactly what happened. The Reds allowed one run on an RBI fielder's choice. The Pirates did not have a hit in that game, and the Pirates still managed to win one to nothing. And that very much sums up what the Cincinnati Reds are right now, a team that can pitch a no-hitter and still end up losing. They're, they are potentially historically bad, Jeremy. They are, they, they are maybe very very as you say historically bad now to be fair to the reds they had a very tough schedule to open up the season they played a lot of very good baseball teams but they are bad they have a worse run they might have a run differential than i believe that the 1962 mets and they have a worse record they have a slightly better run differential than the 2002 tigers but still have a worse record it's 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 bad the reds are have been bad this year um you know but like as you say like just for the sake of following the team for me, uh, you know, if the Cubs can go into after this eight game stretch and go into, I believe it's the White Sox series after that. It is. Say they're 20 the South side. Say they're like 20 and 24, as opposed to, you know, who knows, like, you know, 18 and, and 26 after just playing, you know, the Diamondbacks and the Reds teams, you kind of have to win knowing that there's so many better teams on the schedule. To me, that, that, that's like a big difference. Like, okay, maybe we could play around a 500 team, through the that that like keeps me really engaged. What doesn't keep me engaged is the Cubs just losing to really bad teams all the time. So for me, I'm I'm kind of excited to see the stretch. I think the Cubs can be competitive. We we just saw them, as I said, they've won six out of nine of their last games. It's it would be nice to have, you know, they could have a theoretically, I think they could have a winning May. Um, so it would be nice to see that. And actually, I, I do want to go back, not to just to go back too far. But I did, I did want to mention, we talked about a little bit about the YouTube uh, early on. You, you mentioned the, the broadcast going to uh, Pat Hughes. Uh, I just want to mention two things about the YouTube broadcast. One, right. they um, the first couple of minutes of that, 
there was no sound at all. Just that's right. The game. That's right. And I thought that was amazing. I would love to watch a broadcast that was literally just like the sounds of the game. All well, you heard I'm was all like for a that. pitch, a crowd, the ball hitting the bat, the ball hitting the glove. You heard the umpire just after a pitch go 1-1 one, one count. It was amazing. It was fantastic. And I would love that um, for a whole broadcast. And the other thing was the picture of that game was some weirdly weird, like tinted kind of darkness. And I feel like that's been a problem with uh, YouTube in the past with previous games. I didn't remember it happening last year in the past when I watched games, but it was just like a really dark tint. So I just thought that was weird. I, I didn't want to mention those things. And I'm sorry to, to uh, you know, go off topic a little bit, but uh, we went straight to weather and I was like, those were in my head. Uh, but, you know, I mentioned those things and that, uh, and then I'm excited for this eight game stretch. I think it's going to be a key stretch for the Cubs. Yeah. You know, it, it, that doesn't say a whole lot about the season that we're excited about, but maybe getting back to 500, like that's our, that, that's our big goal for the month to, to see this team go back to 500, but yeah, you got to get there first if you're going to do anything. And I don't think this team is going to do anything. I do think we're probably as we get into late May and June, I think it's probably going to go pretty similarly to last year where they, they just hit a skid they can't get themselves out of. And that's when uh, Jed and Carter tasked the scouts with determining who you'd like to acquire from some of the other organizations. But, you know, it's still fairly early in the season. Maybe they can make it fun along the way. And this week, uh, this past, past seven days, have certainly had their fair share of fun. So just keep it fun. That's all we ask. That's all we ask, Cubs. I don't think it's an unreasonable request at all. I just want a frisky team, Randall. Go yeah, on just a, a frisky that, you know, they can beat anybody on any day. They might lose to anybody on any day, but, you know, they're not a pushover. They're not a team that teams, are, you know, just like the Reds are. I don't want the Reds, Randall. I don't want, you know, that that to be the Cubs. I want the Cubs to be, hey, are they going to win? Maybe they're, they're going to be like a, you know, not win a whole lot of games in terms of, you know, be an under 500 team, but they're a team that has to compete. They're a team that's going to compete. They're a team that's probably going to, beat up a little bit on the bad teams. They might lose to them, but beat up on them. So like, like I say, if we can get back into within three, four games under 500 after the stretch, I think it'll be a pretty good two weeks uh, out here to be a Cubs fan. Uh, yeah. You know, we want a team. We want a team that's going to make it interesting. We want a team that's going to keep us guessing. We want a team that, that we're not positive is going to lose each night. We might, we might think we know they're going to lose, but we want a team that's going to keep us guessing. That's all we ask for. Just make it interesting. Not a, not an unreasonable request Cubs. Yeah. I mean, we know this team's not going to win the world series. So I think right. we have to, we have, we to, have take to take that into account. What is the goal yeah. for this team right now as a fan? What do you want? Like, are they going to win every game? No, obviously not. But if they're frisky, that's what I like. I want to see a frisky team. I want to see some good starting pitching, some decent hitting, and I want to see some young guys coming up and playing well. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Again, these are all reasonable requests. Hopefully the Cubs are listening, taking taking notes on what we're asking for. I think these are all very doable. This is normally the part of the show where we would match the episode number of the show to the jersey number. This is episode number 69, getting geared up for the big 7-0 next show. There's one little wrinkle in that, and that is that no Cub player or coach has ever worn number 69 in a regular season game on the field or in the dugout. And that is simply not nice. I know a lot of organizations have uh, kind of a quiet edict against issuing the number, especially on the major league roster. Some teams do not. The Pirates have a number 69. If he's not on the big league roster, then he's at least on the uh, the Pittsburgh to the minor league shuttle. Uh, but some teams do not issue it. I know that the Marlins do not issue it because pitcher Lewis Head has asked for number 69 from the Marlins and they would not give it to him. I guess they don't want him wearing a Jersey that says head 69. And maybe that's understandable. 
Uh, so some organizations don't issue it. The Cubs, for whatever reason, are one of those organizations. There has never been uh, a Cub wearing number 69, Jeremy, for better or for worse. Yeah, man. I, and yeah, I'm sure, you though, you can go out to Wrigley and find a few 69 jerseys in the in the crowd. You sure uh, can. We, we should find one of those people. You're you're out at Wrigley most often. The three of us you should find one of those people and invite them on the pod. We can have them hey, on the pod as number 69 wearer and ask all sorts of interesting questions. First question. Being, I send every why? interesting. I send every interesting jersey I see to the to the the. Uh, you know, the group chat. And I put a couple of on the pot on the, on the Twitter account. I saw Mitch Williams, 28. I kept seeing this Jersey saying Williams, 28 on my back. And it kept blowing my mind. Cause you see Williams, 26. And I'm like, what is going on here? Why is it a Williams 28 until I realized that it was a 1990 Jersey. I was like staring at him. I'm like, that's not even an, an era accurate Jersey. I kept thinking it was anachronistic. And then I realized I'm like, Oh no, that's Mitch Williams from the 19, you know, the closer of the 89 team. Uh, it, it finally hit me. It was so weird to see, but uh, 69 Randall, maybe our boy, as we said on a previous podcast, uh, Cam Randall Sanders, Randy Sanders, when he makes his debut, maybe he'll get the number 69 and we can get that Sanders 69 Jersey. Yeah, boy, I, I'm pretty sure you and Ronan would not be able to handle it. I think we'd probably have to cancel the pod that week because the two of you would still be recovering from that. So oh, I, there'd be a lot of purchases of a Sanders yeah. 69, right? Couple, couple hundred dollars flowing from your uh, your respective checking accounts to MLB shop for better or for worse. Uh, so no Cubs in number 69, but we uh, there's only been one in number 70. can probably all guess who it is. I think we'll probably have more than a few things to say about this individual on that next episode. That'll do it for episode number 69 of Behind the Yellow Line. Again, find us on Twitter at BTYLPod. Again, Find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Ronan will be back with us for the next edition. For Jeremy, I'm Randall. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll see you again next time.